Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo decoded report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestion, endo aligned product matching in your state, suggested dosage guidelines, and optimum methods of administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeka soft gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeka Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. What's up, everyone? It's 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, which means you're tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News. I'm producer Lauren, and today we're going to be speaking with Armand Zetunia, the co-founder of EcoWaste Services. But first, we're going to get into a little bit of cannabis news. So what's up, Miggy and Tom? What's going on in cannabis news this week? Hey, Lauren. Hey, Lauren. How are you? Well, not all that much. I think the biggest cannabis news this week is that, welcome back, Miggy. How was hey. taking your kid to college? Yeah, Tell just about the uh, the illegal times that you had to experience because you know we're sitting here in Illinois and Seattle now. So, man, it's it's nice to have cannabis laws like that. How were they in Idaho? Scary. The whole time was scary. Uh, as soon as you cross the border, uh, matter of fact, I just saw a video today. Officers in Idaho down in uh, Route 84 are uh, they're blatantly pulling cars over coming from Oregon. I mean, there was a blatant, blatant video. It's like basically a traffic stop right on the border. Oh, I could see Indiana doing that. I could see yeah. Iowa doing that. Maybe not Wisconsin or Missouri, but I could also see Wisconsin and Missouri doing that. Yeah, no, we were scared. And, and, and you know, I did, of course, have some stuff on me, but uh, it would have been a consumption issue and have been like personal consumption. And, you know, of course, this is the risk you take when when you're uh, when you believe in something, you know? Uh, yeah. And that, but did you buy any illegal weed while you were there or did you bring your own legal weed? Oh, I just brought my own legal weed. Oh, that's good. Kind of illegal since I crossed the line. Cross, well, it's it's always illegal federally, but <laughs> that was probably some of the largest news that it is. That all the Illinois producers and all the producers of the MSOs are coming out about how safe their extraction products are and how safe their vapes are, as opposed to these unlawful vapes. That was the other really large news story. And then Trump just came out today and said, well, let me just share my screen real quick. Trump just said it today. Um, he wants to ban all of these flavored vapes. What do you think about that? Is the ban of the flavored vapes going to help uh, dent this vaping crisis? I think once again, it's the government protecting us, and when it shouldn't be, uh, yeah. vapes are that's like your, that's your your wonderful libertarian uh, brand of America that you have in Washington State. I can't believe the government needs to come in to help you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, vapes have been around for 10, 15 years. We would have seen something like this uh, 10, 15 years ago. 
Right. But then what they weren't vaping 10 to 15 years ago was THC or cannabis oil. And so it has to be the black market uh, showing its ugly head again, but responding to the lawful market because vapes are quite popular amongst uh, the, the legalized states. In Illinois, it's like 50 percent uh, concentrate in vapes. What's your percentage of concentrate products that go down in uh, Washington? You know, I, I really don't know the uh, the numbers, but just for even for a sick person, though, concentrate is how the preferred method, you know. Uh, oh, absolutely. Rick Simpson oil, like, you know, concentrate where you really have the medicine that like not necessarily your shatters or your THCA isolate. But when they have that full spectrum type Rick, Rick Simpson oil where they have all the terpenoid profiles that were also extracted from the plant and that plant might be blended with THC, other cannabinoids and CBD. Yeah, all of it. I, I you know, it's uh and then again, too, the endocannabinoid system, a sick person might prefer a special like shatter dabbing. I know a guy uh, who was born with his stomach inside out and uh, uh, his his arm deformed. Uh, wow. That's a thing. He was born with his stomach inside out. That sounds like one of those Ripley's Believe It or Not type of uh, stories. I can't believe that. Yeah. Yeah. No, the guy's a great guy. He's actually a performer, too, out here in Washington. Uh, he goes by the name Timmy. And uh, uh, he raps and whatnot, but uh, uh, he dabs like a, a beast. Like when I did the one gram dab challenge, I, I thought I almost died. But yeah, uh, that was funny. <laughs> you know, but him, people who are in serious pain and sick, uh, they can consume that much in a, in, in one sitting and, and walk away feeling fine. Uh, you well, don't die from this. <laughs> No, you do not die from it. And it continues to grow, which I think gets to the next really large story in cannabis legalization news for the first week of September of 2019. And that was the American Bankers Association predicting that the Safe Banking Act will pass by next month. And that is, of course, October. And uh, we've been talking about that here on the show for months, how we think that the uh, the Safe Banking Act will uh, passed because of the budget that's coming up. And next month, October, that's when the budget expires because the fiscal year for the federal government goes from October 1st through September 30th. And me being a, a weird, you know, a, a history buff and kind of a nerd, I always think that's one of the reasons why the third quarter is one of the worst quarters in the stock market because, you know, government gridlock comes up and they shut it down and then uh, things don't get paid. But also, uh, it looks like the way that they legalized hemp last year might be the way that they legalize uh, commercial banking and cannabis this year. That would be pretty darn awesome. Now, are you saying like two bills kind of going through? Is that how they're going to process? I know they're petitioning. Well, for like what they do is they have floor action on this bill because it made out of committee. So it could, it does come up for a vote, but then they could always table that vote. And then they have the budget vote that comes up. And much like with the 2018 farm bill where they had those things on the budget, then they eventually stuck it into the budget in the omnibus uh, spending bill, as opposed to one of the continuing resolu uh, CRs, they call them, the continuing resolutions to help uh, continue to fund the government so it doesn't shut down all at once. It shuts down like in smaller and smaller stages. But then uh, they passed the budget for this year, which is going to be up here in three weeks. And so they're going to be arguing over the budget and hopefully... Uh, the Safe Banking Act either passes by itself or becomes a, a rider on the budget and then passes when they fund the government for next year, which you know they're going to do because there's no way that Trump is shutting down the government and running for president on it. No way. Yeah, no, that's going to be exciting. And then at that point, when that happens, it'll kind of help uh, 
just reaffirm that this is a, a legit industry or, or that people who are in the cannabis industry. Oh, I bet, you know, it's going to reaffirm it's a legit industry. But how is it out in Seattle? I mean, Washington State, don't you guys still get like kind of pushed around and not taken seriously? Yeah, well, the consumer is not taken seriously. It's, you know, we're, we're run by a government body called the Washington State Liquor Control or Liquor and Cannabis Board. Mm-hmm. Um, they create an infrastructure that's it's kind of shit. I mean, they they did great with uh, creating this seed to sell uh, tracking system. As far as that's being a concern, uh, they've created a, a great uh, rights for workers. You know, now people minimum wage they're entitled to. They're entitled to uh, 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 days off. You know, these are things that that weren't happening before under labor laws. So you guys, when you first legalized, you had to insert these labor protections. Illinois has already unpacked that, it seems, and they've already inserted a lot of the labor protections, but they extend protections also to the employers themselves and says that they can continue to maintain that drug-free workplace. But uh, I've seen these types of lawsuits for uh, workers' rights having greater and greater uh, results in the states whose statute actually provide for them. So I'm glad that Washington State is finally kind of catching up to that. Yeah, yeah, finally. I mean, there there is something going through, I believe, for protecting employers, employees uh, in Washington State. Unlike uh, recently, who uh, Nevada, New York, and Oklahoma all passed uh, workers' rights where they're allowed to, you know, test positive. Yeah, which- that that that's the way that it's going. But then, you know, it. it, it the way that it's written in Illinois is that you can have a drug-free work zone and then you can also not have them using or failing or testing positive for cannabis be the sole factor that you fire them, which basically just means like, well, let's go over their uh, most recent performance review I and mean, give, give them any reason. You know, yeah. it just so they don't have one reason that they got fired. They have at least two or three reasons that we got fired. I mean, that's how I like to do my business. I'd fire you, but I don't have enough reasons yet. It's kind of like when a cop pulls you over and says, I think I smell uh, crime going on right now. Let me uh, investigate that, further. <laughs> that's some that's some crimes that I smell. You know, it's and then they don't have that anymore. A lot of the uh, canines are getting retired out in uh, uh, rural Illinois. But that just kind of means that like, wow, really, is the only reason we had these canines was so they could smell for uh, caraffeine and uh, uh, pinene on these these cannabis arrests. That's it. They didn't they weren't trained to smell bombs. They weren't trained to smell like cocaine. They weren't trained to smell uh, dangerous stuff. It was just trained to smell flowers from cannabis. That was tough, you know, but yeah, yeah. no, no, it's a, you know, and then the, there's the other claim with the cops sort of police and force where they're like, you know, uh, uh, how we, how do we, we're going to lose jobs or lose revenue now because we can't arrest. This is your only reason. This is your justification for putting people in jail and ruining right. lives. Right. And like you want to stop progress because, I mean, our guest that's coming on is one of the many types of businesses that are out there that are ancillary to the cannabis industry. But if you are enjoying this cannabis legalization news, I got something for you. You can always find us on our podcast now. So uh, we take this live episode and then we actually publish it to a podcast. So just Google cannabis legalization nude podcast and then you can take us with you uh, when you're like on your commute to work. How is your commute to work, dude? Oh, I'm all about the bus. <laughs> you take the bus, do you? Oh, uh, yeah. Nice. Well, after uh, driving 3,800 miles for six days, I love my bus driver now. Don't want to drive no more. Yeah, it was uh, it was a couple of weeks that you were gone, but um, you successfully got your kid to college, huh? Well, again, and, uh, uh, according to most people as a cannabis consumer, I couldn't do something like this. I, I couldn't hold a nine to five. I, I couldn't have a kid that rides a bike or, 
you know, goes to college, you know, succeeds in life. Uh, oh, yeah. Would you uh, have a kid that would be able to do, uh, let's see here. What about this? So you just wrote this new article, right? Yeah. So that's uh, the latest uh, Washington State, uh, what's going wrong with our legalization. Uh, a friend of mine uh, was out here for Seattle Hanfest and was denied use of his Blackfeet tribe uh, ID, federally recognized ID, uh, was denied use of it to acquire cannabis. And when he contacted me and said, is this true? Does Washington State not recognize Blackfeet tribe? I was like, no, this can't be true because Washington State has many tribes of their own. Matter of fact, Washington State has agreements with the tribes. Not It's an intercommerce agreement where the tribes won't undersell them. You know, they'll play by the rules. But I went to the website and sure as shit, uh, Washington State only recognizes 18 tribes out of the 527 odd tribes that are in America. Yeah, but so, how many tribes, how many tribes are in Washington State and how is it defined? Like, are they only supposed to be supporting the, the tribes that are like in their state or I, I am not an Indian. I'm sorry. I am not a Native American law lawyer. Uh, I, I just don't know any. Thing about it, but uh, no, I agree. But the biggest issue, though, is it's a federally recognized ID that they can use for passports to go to Canada. Canada recognizes ID. He can walk into Canada at that moment using his federally recognized tribe ID, but he can't acquire cannabis in Washington State. Which, you know, there's so many nuances of this law that they haven't really figured out. So. Yeah. Well, we don't really have any Native Americans in the state of Illinois, but it's uh, it's definitely going to be something that has to be visited uh, on on that state by state or area by area basis wherever they are located. And I'm sure that's going to be something that continues to evolve, just like this law. Well, I'm sure you had them at one time. Uh, I don't know, man. Illinois. How long ago did that? That's been a long time ago since Illinois got rid of uh, Native Americans. I mean, that's just a byproduct of the 19th century. I wasn't yeah. there at the time. Uh, they were coming through and they meant business. There's no reservations in Illinois? I don't know. I, uh, I it would be it would be news to me. I've never heard of them. Like, you know, uh, there. I think there's some in Wisconsin because they actually have Indian casinos there. Huh. Uh, there may be uh, tribes in Illinois. That's something that I could ask the Google. I don't think I've ever asked Google that. That's how often it comes up. Well, I mean, there's definitely competition when it comes to state commerce, and that's what they're dealing with here. But uh, but let's talk to uh, Armand. Armand? Yeah. Well, we have to. <laughs> Armand, man. Lauren, why don't you introduce the guest? This is Armand Zaytunia, the co-founder of EcoWay Services. Uh, can you tell us more about your business? Yeah, absolutely. So um, EcoWaste Services, we're actually a cannabis waste management company. Um, I know right off the bat, a lot of people are going to be curious about cannabis wastes, and I'd love to get into it. But uh, in a nutshell, what we do is we provide a, a management service for the cannabis waste material. Uh, we do the whole process as far as the transporting, the compliance end of it, and then the disposal end of it. Um, and we've been doing it in SoCal since maybe beginning of last year and uh, kind of looking to keep, keep on going. It's, it's required, right? What are the requirements in California regarding cannabis weights? Because that's one of the secrets of legal cannabis. They really track it through harvest. And like after the harvest, is that really when your company comes in and provides their value? 
Well, it, it depends. So, I mean, we work with everybody on the supply chain, but to use the cultivators uh, as an example, yeah, when there's a whole track and trace uh, compliance here in California, and they have to track everything from seed to sale, right? But there's the back end of that where they also need to track what they don't use. So let's say something doesn't sell or um, something is expired or didn't pass testing or they just outright you know, can't use it anymore for some reason, they need to dispose of it and they need to have that done in a specific format, in a specific process, and they need to have documentation for that. So we kind of come in and we handle that for them. So they can find you. Uh, I was. I don't mean to cut you off there, Miggy. I guess we can go to that instead. That's the question, man. Oh no, I was just saying because I'm looking at the website. Well, you just pulled up, and he's got listed cultivators, dispensaries, extractions, testing labs, distributions, and fusions. I mean, you must have your hands upon with uh, all these different parts of the of, of the of the industry, which is, you know, again, like you were saying earlier, Tom, about how you have this base of industry, then now you got all the auxiliary stuff on the side. You know, like this guy, which. You know, it's, it's pretty awesome to see, you know, like, what would you do for the labs? You're, getting, you're helping the labs get rid of the products they tested that day? Yeah. So, I mean, labs are a very interesting uh, uh, angle because they actually have different types of waste materials besides cannabis waste. So they have multiple categories where they'd have, let's say, they'd sometimes have cannabis waste on itself where it's um, considered non-hazardous material or non-biological, meaning it's just the organic cannabis material that they're testing. But they also have hazardous and they also have... Uh, biological waste, which we take care of in our sister company, actually. Uh, but we also do service them through eco-waste for cannabis materials because they have to get rid of that, too. If it's you know a non-hazardous substance, they got to classify it as a cannabis waste. And then, hmm. then the, uh, uh, with the extractions, are, are you also getting rid of like the excess extractions that were in the process, or are you taking uh, trim and turning that into an extraction? So, we, again, it depends on where it comes from. So, for example, as a manufacturer, if they're making uh, oil out of the biomass that they have, we take the biomass once it's uh, dried up and there's less than 1% ethanol on it, uh, if they're doing an ethanol extract. We take the biomass and we're working on turning that into a mulch product where we kind of put it back into the ecosystem. Uh, but if it has anything hazardous on it, like, for example, those manufacturers, the ones that are making the oil, uh, that might be classified as, as a hazardous waste substance, which is something we don't handle. We, we work with another company that does that. So you mean that there's more than one type of cannabis waste out there. When you said waste oil, does that mean that the processors that are creating the uh, cartridges that are so popular in the news, right? Well, the regulated producers aren't making them, but uh, as a byproduct of that uh, distillation or extraction process, as Miggy is demonstrating, uh, that creates a different type of waste that needs to be handled? Well, waste is a very broad category that has many different subcategories, right? But the, the byproduct itself, you know, obviously we wouldn't be smoking or using anything that has ethanol on it. So anything that has hazardous on it wouldn't be in the legal system anyways. So that, like, let's say the, the byproduct end consumer ready product let's say that needs to be disposed we can take that as cannabis waste but the when the they're doing the processing on the extracting side of it the actual manufacturing side of it when they extract the biomass um, to make the oil there's the biomass waste and then there's the crude waste that could be considered hazardous so there's different types of materials that's usually case by case basis we kind of have to go in there and kind of see what it is um, and kind of understand exactly what type of waste it is. Because it's not just the BCC that we have to worry about. We have to worry about, you know, different departments, the Department of Health, Department of Toxic Substance Control. There's all these other kind of agencies that come into play with waste. 
So yeah, that's something with the, the cannabis laws. There is a lot of agent interagency overlap and interagency policing and regulation. And it's the same way in Illinois. Depending on what area you're working in with the plants, you're going to be dealing with a different type of federal agency. But I'd be really interested in hearing more about how you say that there's this, this differentiation amongst all these types of waste from the cannabis product, I'm sorry, plant, depending right. on how it was produced. And especially like uh, there's some of the regulations in Illinois say that you actually have to destroy the material. So is there any type of regulations in California or your jurisdictions where you're uh, providing services to your clients where you have to take uh, certain precautions to like literally destroy the seeds and stems and stalks and stuff that people usually just pitch anyway? Right. So there's a lot of um, there are a lot of uh, different language that kind of means different things. And a lot of the, the regulations here in California. In California, they're still kind of figuring it out too. So they use a more general sense as far as when it comes to cannabis. Um, anything that's essentially classified as hazardous or bi biological, um, that has to be separated and handled differently. But if it's a plant material and bioat mass, we don't have to destruct it necessarily. We have to dispose of it or do something environmentally uh, sustainable with it. Um, they just have a nuance on the words that they use. So, for example, if it's something that's hazardous, that has to be destructed in a specific way that not even the cannabis regulators deal with. That's a completely different department already. Do you, uh, Armand, do you guys deal with, like, do you guys have any uh, recycling programs? That's the one thing I hear in Washington State we failed at is uh, as soon as the bud, the flower touches a container, it's no longer recyclable, even though it's plastics recyclable. Um, we have a program out here. I've been trying to find it. I've, I'll find it later but uh these guys are taking all the containers and uh leaving boxes so you can uh bring your uh your empty containers so they'll take them and, and wash them and recycle them uh that was a that transition when it was medical i was able to take my same container and uh just get that filled up so that helped reduce the waste are you guys recycling or anything like that yeah so right now um we're working on collaborating with a company to help to do that with us because we don't want to be the distributor for the recycled material or anything like that. We're just the waste management company, but we do collect the, the plastics and the glass the jars mostly and the, the, the do tubes, I think they're called. And um, we do collect those and we are working on getting those recycled and cleaned and put them back into the system because we can't, since they're not CRV here in California, they're not registered glass. We can't, you know, recycle them like traditional glass bottles and everything. So we're working on with some people we're working on some companies to get that glass product recycled and back into the system so we don't waste it. And then, of course, we always recommend um, consumers to, to do that, to take their, their glass jars back to the retail shops. And then if they work with us, we will then you know, come by and collect it from them. Fascinating. So, hey, uh, are you seeing like more of the uh, the vape cartridges? Do you get to help recycle the vape cartridges or any of the other stuff that's, you know, you were just mentioning dube tubes. Uh, or do you work on helping to recycle dube tubes? And, you know, isn't that just like you just put a new dube in it and then you pop the lid on the tube and it's ready to go again, right? In theory, yeah. But the way the, the regs are written is like you can't um, there's a lot of, again, those little nuances that are not cleared up here in California. Like for a retailer, the ideal situation would be that they keep their own jars, recycle them, put it back into their own system. Uh, but it's unclear whether they're required to do that. Some uh, some of the people that come out to do the inspections on these um, businesses, they might not allow that. They might want them to dispose of it, send it to us for us to do that and then mm -hmm. give it which creates another link in that chain. 
Um, the grape cartridges, though, that's a really interesting one. Me and uh, Miki and I were talking about it a little earlier. Um, those have, as far as we even looked into it, it is one of the most complicated things to, to handle, especially disposable vapes. Uh, because the disposable vapes, they're attached to the cartridge and the battery. The battery, like, like exactly, the battery. Hang on, he's giving a. Electronic waste. So that's, yeah. There was a glass right here. I just cracked it, but this be filled. It's a one-time use thing. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that Miggy is giving a live demonstration of what we were discussing. <laughs> so those right there, basically, those, those, um, they have two parts of it. There are two types of waste on that. There's the cannabis waste, which is the glass, or three types, I should say. There's the cannabis, which is the concentrate inside the, the cartridge. There's the glass, and there's the battery. They're all attached to one. Separating them and disposing them separately, near impossible. How are you supposed to do that? You know, I mean? They don't separate. The batteries, you can't take them to an e-waste recycling center because it has cannabis on it. The cannabis, you can't take it and dispose it as cannabis because it has electronic waste on it. What do you do with them? That's the question that we've been trying to really figure out since we started. It's like what to do with those exactly. Um, yeah, but somebody is, what are we currently doing with them? Just throwing them in landfills. They're just going throwing them in landfills. Yeah, just throwing them away. And that's the improper way to handle it because there's multiple different parts to that. There's there's glass on it, which can be recycled if we figure out how to, of course. There's the, the cannabis oil in it. There might be some trace amounts. And the most importantly is the batteries. Those, those are creating... Um, those filling those up into landfills can be very dangerous because if they all collectively fill up one little spark, oof, hmm. that's you know, what's I, about these is um, it was given to me a friend of mine. And uh, I was like, no way They're, they have uh, uh, disposable freaking pens. Yeah. And then just yesterday I was in a shop buying some uh, flour and I saw a whole uh, area, just disposable pens. And it, it kind of made me sad just thinking like all that shitty waste. I mean, these are only good for one time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, they're totally sealed. Can't get the battery out. Can't add any more uh, uh, oil into it. It's a single use, and then you throw it away. And usually they have, like, the Fruity Pebbles flavor, which kind of gets back to, like, how Trump mm -hmm. just set, directed the FDA to uh, not have those types of fruity flavors that are marketed toward children. But, you know, you can't do that now, especially with uh, Tobacco 21 in Illinois, at least. And it's a, it's a general law that's kind of sweeping all over the place. Uh, even medical patients aren't allowed to buy vapes anymore if they're under 21. So they really are coming down well, or flowers. So like you could, if you are a medical cannabis patient in Illinois right now, you might be able to buy Rick Simpson oil and other edibles. But until you're 21, they aren't allowing you to get vapes, which kind of stinks because like some people, that's the way that they need to actually take their medicine, especially when it's one of those types of uh, diseases that cause a lot of nausea and uh, eating might just be, you know, harder. Armand, I saw that reading uh, one of your um, uh, interviews that your history is in, in a medical field. Is that what I? Yeah. So um, before we started the started eco waste, we actually have been doing medical waste since 2011. Um, it's called bio waste, and uh, uh, very similar to eco waste, kind of where we got the name from. Um, and that's kind of touches on what we were talking about a little bit earlier with different categories and everything. Um, medical waste is like you know needles, anything dealing with blood or bodily fluids and organs and stuff like that. Um, we've been doing that since 2011, and that's kind of how we knew uh, when this opportunity came up to us. That's how we knew that we'd be the right fit in doing the cannabis waste is because we have that experience with specialized waste materials. That seems like a pretty smooth transition from anybody in anything medical yeah. to cannabis. Yeah, uh, I mean, it works together, right? Like, Do so you... 
Do you require a special license to be able to handle the cannabis waste? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that's something that I actually really do want to clarify because there's some of our competitors, uh, I won't call them out, but uh, they, they claim that there's a license. There is no license. Um, and it's kind of a conflict for me to say that, right? Because someone else hears it like there's no license, but- I'm um, getting in this industry next week. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The BCC doesn't have a specific license. We just have to adhere to the regulations that they put forth for the operations. And so BCC is a California, California. Which can you can you expand the BCC for the listeners that are outside the state? Yeah. So the BCC is the Bureau of Cannabis Control. It's the overarching regulatory agency here in California. They're at the top of the pyramid and they have other little agencies. And how city. old is that agency since it became legalized in California? It's brand new. Okay, so that's a great example because right now in Illinois, we don't have the ICC or you know the BCC even or whatever the corollary would be. It's all kind of compartmentalized. It's either going to be in one agency or uh, the Department of Agriculture. I mean, they've really just split the plant in half and they said, well, if you're selling at retail, talk to that agency. Right. Any other section of it, talk to this agency. And it'll be interesting to see if in more years it'll have something like that but every state approaches their regulations a little differently right i mean in california it's similar to we have our department of agriculture where if you're a um for example you're a cultivator you would go through them but they all still respond to this overarching kind of regulatory agency um, so they just kind of created another like link in the hierarchy really um but yeah that's the bcc bcc is they're the overarching regulatory agency here in, here in california What's the uh, next state for you, Armand? Where, I mean, you guys are in California now, but where do you plan to expand to? Because I imagine something like somebody like you is needed in every state now that we have nine legal states. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're, we're debating where to go. I mean, the obvious answer would be go uh, up north, you know, head towards where you are in Washington. Um, and then right next to us, we can go to Nevada, too. Uh, but we're, we're kind of testing around to see what our options are. Um, you know, the states, every state is different. So we want to make sure that we can go to a state that, you know, can actually take benefit from our service. Um, the ideal solution would be to go all legal states at once. That's kind of what we're gearing towards. Maybe like building up a little bit more uh, capital, building up a little bit more brand value, and then kind of just expanding all at once. But that's a... But the, I think uh, that could be a difficult challenge simply because all the states are slightly different. When I hear your business model, I'm like, well, that's a fascinating business model. I'm not sure if you're able to do it in the state of Illinois simply because you're going to be handling a particular part of the plant that this they're, they're under obligations to destroy this stuff. Right. Uh, especially not necessarily the, the vape cartridges. Once it's in the retail customer's hand, you know, they, they don't have the, the responsibility anymore to recycle or destroy it. Right. But when you're done harvesting plants and you've clipped it all and then the stuff that's left over, you have to destroy and right. render impossible. So I always just kind of figured that would be somebody, uh, you know, throwing it into a, a dumpster with a chipper and, and creating uh, just stuff that you can't use. But you may well, use the interesting word there with the render, uh, because uh, again, I'm gonna speak towards California only. There's a distinction between dispose, destruct and render. So in California, cannabis operations, before we pick it up, they need to render their material, meaning they need to mix it with a uh, some other organic material. They need to mix it up, blend it together so that it's made unusable and unrecognizable before any kind of disposal. Then we come in and do the disposal. 
So that's where yeah, I think that's that that sounds very similar to what it is in Illinois. And then so you step in after the license holder has complied with their compliant, yeah. well, complied with the compliance, complied with the regulations that they are subject to. Yeah. Yeah. They, it's the responsibility falls under them. We're just the, the waste management company that handles the transportation and the disposal. We obviously offer the benefit of the compliance end of it, too, where we give a manifest and we prove some verification that we came and picked it up. Um, but the responsibility to rendering it is on them to making sure that it's unusable and unrecognizable. Because if you think about it, like, let's say they have like their designated waste area outside and it's just filled with, with cannabis material, you know, someone comes and tries to steal it, you know, they're going to come and try and get your, you know, your butt or your leaf or whatever. And they don't want that. They want to eliminate that. That's one of the reasons they want to eliminate that possibility. That's why they want the licensees to render it. Um, by themselves so that no when they go in and try and open that container up it's just a bunch of organic material mixed up blended together they can't do anything with right and that that sounds like maybe then you could expand into all those states provided that that was okay because you're going to have a contract with the uh the cultivator and your contract they, they pay you to you do the service of uh, getting rid of that for them so they don't have to have it right right yeah we, we perform a service and you know the thing is like what we're trying to do is um because it's new we're trying to create the standard you know we want to create the standard that can be duplicated across you know ideally across states because they really don't know how to handle this and that's where we want to bring our value in and say well, look this is the best way to handle these categories these things this is how you got to do it you know what you guys need you need somebody to write you a law that says <laughs> these are the regulations that are the best and yes. then you could be like because it depends on if these are the reasonable regulations that and then what municipal or or state like where do you insert these regs is this right. something that you convince the department of agriculture in the state of illinois that are a, a great idea to help you then boom they've opened the state for you there or is this something that's a reasonable restriction as to the localities and I, it doesn't sound like it does it sounds like to me that this would be something that the state perhaps right. the rules would uh, allow you to do. And not only that, but uh, there are like approved providers when it comes to testing or other things like that. So, you know, if you create your own standard and your own qualification, you're basically creating your own job. So that's, that's just one of the cool things about the cannabis industry. It's creating all these other small industries and jobs around it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly how we're looking at it too. You know, it's, it's something that's so new and it's like, well, there needs to be a solution for this. And, um, it's reasonable to, 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 to utilize our service, not just from the environmental side, but from a compliance side. Because a cultivator, they can say they throw away their waste in a dumpster and not really throw it away. How are you going to prove that they throw, threw it away? How are you going to verify that? you got to have the party come and document that. And I imagine the uh, the eco waste uh, process is going to be the same in any state. You know, Each state has the different rules for the structure, but in the end, when you your processee doesn't really have to change it can just be the same in every state am i thinking correctly yeah i mean it's it's because it's not all that complicated at the end of the day a cannabis operation here is gonna be making the same material as someone in illinois or in colorado or in washington it's the same thing it's really the same process yeah they have their small little nuances but you're making growing a plant selling a plant you're disposing a plant that's really it you know on the cultivator side at least yeah no, that, that, that's a great little niche you got going on now yeah yeah, it's 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 fun. We're enjoying it. So, like, did you guys always start with cannabis disposal, or has this been a family business in the disposal industry? And tell us more about the company. Yeah, I mean, 
specifically, this company had a little bit of a, a interesting background. I mean, we opened the company in 2016, um, and we just we were angling to go into the more food waste environment, where we would collect, you know, uh, disposed food waste that you know we're diverting it from the landfill, so we can then uh, mulch up together, compost it, make it a little bit more environmentally friendly, and then. Uh, we kind of uh, didn't really put too much pressure on that. And around last year, around you know February-ish, I'd say 2018, we started getting phone calls at our bio-waste company for cannabis waste. So you know we kind of got a little curious. We asked a couple of buddies that we had, me and my partner, we asked little buddies that we had in the industry. And they said, yeah, this is a real thing. You should look into it. We looked into the cannabis side of it and uh, we decided that, you know what? This is what we're gonna use this company for. We're gonna go in and we're gonna provide this service for the cannabis industry. Uh, but it's kind of like a family business, you know, I mean, me and my partner have been friends for a long time and, uh, you know, we kind of just joined forces. Um, he brought me on the bioway side and then we opened up the eco one together. Yeah, but I hear this story a lot. Like you said, you know, it was a business that was going on and all of a sudden this new revenue stream opens up to them because cannabis is there. And it's not just uh, in the waste disposal. It's in security. People that provide security consulting and licenses or not licenses, but security consulting and services right. to businesses for like, you know, outfitting uh, whatever type of business has stuff that you want protected and then they watch it and that's actually built into the law in Illinois. You need a contract with a security consultant because of the amount of cameras and stuff that you need uh, running to to conduct your operation. And so they, they've got that one in there. And then not only that, then I have uh, people that are in the construction field themselves, not the security field, but the construction fields. And suddenly a new seam of revenue is opened up to them because they have to design and then to build all these uh, new types of structures that you know didn't exist uh, until the legislative change. And the legislative change brought very, very stringent requirements through the statute and also in the, through the regulations for like how these places where they cultivate the cannabis are supposed to be designed or how the places where they dispense the cannabis are supposed to be designed. So it's created ancillary businesses and it, I, it's just going to continue doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And Armand, I got a question though too. Um, in regards to you've been in business for two years, uh, you're an auxiliary company. Where it comes to you don't deal with the cannabis except for throwing it away. Uh, does the 280e affect you? Have you guys? Can you guys use the 280e? 280e? Could you expand on that? for taxes for business? Uh, you know, are you able to uh, you know file like a regular business or are you uh, because you work with cannabis not allowed? No, we we're classified as it was a waste management company. So, you know, yeah. since we directly deal with the cannabis, it's already supposed to be rendered. We don't necessarily have cannabis. You know, we have waste. That's what we deal with. We're a waste management company that specializes in cannabis. Sweet. Yeah. So that kind of little loop, but uh, we haven't had any issues. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, like, let me be devil's advocate. And for God's sakes, I hope that this, well, the thing about it is they're not enforcing the laws. Like Trump said last week, right? We are all allowing that or whatever the heck that means. So, you know, they aren't enforcing the laws. But then if you look at what IRC 280E says and extrapolate, like, can they? It's, you know, the trafficking of the cannabis. And so you're providing a service that's related to the cost of goods sold of the cannabis because you're only dealing with the cannabis waste. You see, they wouldn't have had that waste if they didn't make that cannabis. But under the federal law, of course, it's called marijuana. So because of that, I think you would be accepted 
from IRC 280E as you are on the cost of goods sold side and not the tra uh, the, the carrying on in trafficking side. Yeah, I mean, I can't I can't say I speak that that's not where my area of expertise lands in, um, but it's possible. I mean, we so far we haven't had any issues. We've had we we didn't have to do any wiggling or anything. We we cat waste management. Now, um, a point that you know I, I think is something to be brought for sure is like on the on the consumer side on our client side you know what they can do on it with it you know i don't know um if they're able to write off i wouldn't know i wish i hope they would be able to write off our services as something the know. cultivators can the cultivators are all about cost of goods sold because they're the ones who's literally making it so they have the best uh 280 e protections right yeah i mean Growers do. Yeah. The 280E is basically hit by the retail side, the dispensing side. And that's one of the reasons why I think in the supply chain, uh, they have that large cleavage between retail and cultivation just to reflect the tax management planning that the industry has had to face since day one. So even though uh, producers uh, plant the seed and, and watering it and everything, the actual product itself they're, they can still write off, like, say, fertilizer and... Uh, no, that's all cost of goods sold. That's COGS. But then you wow. see, you take the you take the, the cannabis, you manicure it, you put it in a nice jar, you send it out the door, and then the retailer buys it. That's trafficking. There's a difference. And that's that's where IRC 280 really stops. But uh, huh. that's, that's awesome, man. Um, I'm glad that there's been no hiccups. I was going to ask you, bank account? That's okay? Yeah. Everything's fine. We got a bank account. We got a merchant service. I mean, again, some merchants, um, when it came to credit, because we, we, the form of the payment, we take our credit card. We don't deal with cash. We don't deal with any of that because we don't want to have any issues. We want everything documented, everything clean. Um, we've had a little hiccups with merchants. Some merchants check out our website and like, no, but other merchants are like, okay, whatever. So we've been, banking has been fine. Taxes have been fine. Uh, merchant accounts have been fine. We haven't had any issues yet. You know, knock on wood. Um, so we've been good to go with all that so far. Well, that raises a question for me then. You said that you only take payment via credit card? Yeah, I mean, not that we're, uh, we only take payment. I mean, we're open to, to cash and to check and everything as well. But we really strongly, um, our, our policy is to, to get credit cards because we don't, we don't want to deal with any of the challenges that comes with cash and with checks. Um, because clients, first of all, don't have checks. You know, they don't have big accounts. Um, and Wait, that's what I was going to ask. Like if the clients don't have, if they all are dealing in cash and you're only taking credit cards, that means that there's cannabis businesses that are your clients that are paying you in a credit card. Well, they're paying with their personal cards and then they're writing that throughout it, depending on how they're doing their taxes. If they're an escort, for example, with the pass through, they'll be able to, I don't know how they're going to deal with that. But we, we, we make it's our policy, you know, most, I'd say about nine out of 10 of our customers are with the credit card and it's their personal card. Um, some of them have their business cards. They've maybe found a banking solution. Um, but we do that because we want to be as safe as our end. We don't want to deal with the challenges. Of course, there's business problems with that, too. It's like we don't want to deal with collections, having to call and everything like that. So that's a business choice, too, um, from our end. It's funny you mentioned about credit card issues, Tom. Uh, Dr. Dina, the other side of Freedom Grow, uh, she's, Citibank just pulled her credit card. She uh -oh. posted on Twitter today that uh, – you know, F you, Citibank, perfect credit score. And it's because she owns a dispensary. Citibank. Bad people. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> they they didn't want to take that cannabis money. I'm yeah. sure they used to work with the Nazis, though. Oh, yeah. And oh, GE yeah. and all the other efforts. Yeah. You know, if she would have been selling opioids, like, you know, at a pill mill in Florida, like in 2004, they would have taken the money. 
Oh yeah, oh easily. But yeah, yeah, no, uh, shit. <laughs> uh, that's 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 how you know we've uh, really delved deep into an episode. We've get to the point where it's like, so uh, shit. <laughs> what else is going on, man? You know, that's great. Lauren, why don't you bring us uh, up to speed on some things? Yeah, it's a, it started to be that time, but we did have a question come in from Shadows McGee. Uh, what are your thoughts on Illinois Illinois creating cannabis task force for local cities and uh, out, out west with you guys where Rex already in full swing? Do you guys see anything like that over there? Uh, as far as California, a specific task force on the local level, uh, no. It's just cities handling it and the BCC themselves. They they collaborate depending on the area. So, for example, the BCC, the, the regulatory agency here in California, let's say they'll collaborate with LAPD and um, LA City because we have a, um, a department here too. So they'll kind of like all kind of collaborate and they'll decide who's going to be the one, you know, knocking on the actual door. Um, but there is no specific task force yet. Wow. Washington has uh, our the Washington State LCB. Um, you have a governing body and then you have little officers that run around and, and ticket everybody and nickel and dime everybody for uh, their interpretation of the rules. Um, so we do have people running around doing that. But Tom, you're saying that there's no enforcement body in Illinois? What they just what uh, what he just explained for California is actually quite similar uh, to what they have in Illinois. So it is a lot of power for reasonable restrictions at the municipal level. You know whether they're going to allow it or not, and like what the setbacks are and what the hours are, and just like it's they're regulating it like alcohol, which is a very local uh, regulation as well. But then there are the, the states for like keeping in compliance with the terms of your license. And that's either you're going to be in the re regulatory uh, body of the IDPFR, the financial and professional regulation, or you're going to be dealing with the Department of Agriculture. There's no uh, liquor control board like you have in Washington state. And it sounds like, you know, from what Armin was saying, I'm kind of happy that Illinois chose to go along the lines of the California solution because it sounds like it has a lot fewer problems, to be honest. Yeah, no, we, we run into an issue. Uh, they overstepped their boundaries. Uh, re last year, uh, there was a podcast, um, the Chronic Cast. They were part of High Times as well. And they were in the back of a dispensary or a pot shop, not dispensary no more, uh, that was actually a separate section of the building, like just directly behind it. But people were consuming on camera and talking. And our governing body actually got the police involved, sectioned off the whole neighborhood, and raided the the podcast you know confiscated all their equipment uh because they're breaking rules of consumption in a building next to the store but they were two separate entities like they had it approved a year prior by another lcb officer who said yeah just just seal up this wall and you're good to go and then hmm. somebody else because they were getting popular uh and with high times uh they got raided yeah, I do not want our podcast to get so popular that because you know, it wouldn't happen in Illinois or in California. But, you know, I'm worried about you, Miggy. Uh, I don't want the cops to come in and drag <laughs> you out of there because the LCB acts a fool again and you get too popular. Well, if I get too popular, that means uh, somebody important saw it and I just got fired. So that's OK. <laughs> oh, Oh, that's good. You know what it also means? It means that you've probably been sticking around on cannabis legalization news, and we are on like episode number 1300 or whatever the heck Joe Rogan's on, right? Right. <laughs> no, it's good stuff. That'd be cool. Yeah. Well, All right. Well, thank, thank you so, you so much. much for joining us. Uh, yeah. Where can we follow, follow you and find what's going on at uh, Eco Services? Eco Waste Services. 
Yeah, I mean, um, we're we're pretty heavy on LinkedIn, um, so they can find us at just you know Eco Waste Services on LinkedIn, and then there's our Instagram uh, and Twitter and Facebook, all at at Real Eco Waste. Um, we have a cool blog too, and uh, you know they can find us pretty much on every social platform, the general social platforms. Awesome, Mickey. Yeah. Where can we find you? Uh, we do that CEO, and just Google Mickey four twenty. You'll see me all over. <laughs> awesome, and Tom, what's going on? Uh, you can you can Google cannabis lawyer, and you'll find my website cannabisindustrylawyer.com. And next week, it's going to be here real soon, and I'm really stoked about the guests. So hopefully, everybody really tunes in. We're going to be discussing uh, cannabis legalization news with the one and only Keith Strop from Normal, and we'll hopefully get a good update as to what's going on in the Safe Banking Act. And I'm also trying to set up a, a, by, like a, a one-on-one interview with the author of the Safe Banking Act. Uh, we've, you know, his name's Adrian. We've kind of had some emails back and forth. Hopefully we get that pinned down and there'll be just more cannabis legalization news coming to you every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining us and thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks. Bye. Bye.